we're talking about being a servant, would you agree that uh, there's probably no better example of being a servant than a mom? Would you agree with that? Uh, I mean, I know perhaps you grew up and had a dysfunctional setting or something like that, but by and large, there's nobody that exemplifies a service better than, than moms. And that kind of service that is pictured in moms is also the kind of selfless service that we see talked about in the Scripture. When I was preparing the message this week, I came across some statements I want to share with you by some people that, that you'll recognize, at least their name. Rick Warren, for example, pastor at Saddleback Church, said this, Faithful servants never retire. You can retire from your career, but you will never retire from serving God. Charles Spurgeon said one of the greatest rewards, listen to this carefully, one of the greatest rewards that we ever receive for serving God is the reward of the permission to do even more for him. K. Arthur, a great uh, women's Bible study uh, teacher, said so many times we, we say that we can't serve God because we aren't whatever is needed. Well, that's what you need. I can't serve because that's not who, what I am. I don't have the talent. I'm not smart enough or whatever. But she goes on to say this, but if you are in covenant with Jesus Christ, if you're in that relationship with him, listen to this, he is responsible for covering your weaknesses, for being your strength, and he will give you his abilities for your disabilities. Isn't that good? And then, how about this? Some of you guys will know this name, George Foreman. You know, he's famous for his grill. No, I, well, uh, and George Foreman said this, don't let, listen, this is good. Don't let any opportunity lead you away from serving God. And then he says, that's a price that's too high to pay. A.W. Tozer said, how utterly terrible is the current idea that Christians can serve God at their own convenience. Author Randy Alcorn said, it is by serving God and others that we store up heavenly treasures and everyone gains, no one loses. And then Billy Graham said, serve God and live. Serve the other gods and die. We are designed, we're created to serve and specifically to serve God. It's one of the primary reasons Jesus told a parable called the parable of the talents. Have y'all heard the parable of the talents? Well, if you've been in this church for very long, you have, because I preached it over the last two decades probably four or five times. And the whole message of the parables is to be faithful servants or faithful stewards. And that's why at the end of the parable, Jesus says this. He brings two of the stewards or the servants, depending on which translation the word means to say, these, these servants, he brings them to them and he, he commends them because they had done, they had served with what he had entrusted to them. That would be uh, the equivalent of our gifts and abilities. And they had served faithfully and he, at the end, and it's a picture of the day when we stand before God. And they come in and the master says to them, well done, good and faithful servants. But there were three people in the parable. There is one who is considered an unfaithful servant. And when he is called forward to the master, the master says, cast him into outer darkness. Think about that. Well done, good and faithful servants, to two, but to one, uh, he says, you were entrusted, you were entrusted with this responsibility to serve me, and you didn't do it. Cast him into uh, outer darkness. Now, last week, we talked about 
the prophet Haggai's sermon. Remember that? We talked about the prophet Haggai's sermon uh, to God's people, and it was about serving in the house of God and on the house of God. Well, today I want to show you another sermon. That's why I've entitled it in your worship folder, Samuel's Sermon, because Samuel also has a similar kind of message to the people of God related to their faithfulness, ongoing faithfulness in service to him. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me uh, this morning as we read our text in chapter 12, 1 Samuel Beginning in verse 19, this is what it says. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Now, we'll come back to that. So remember that. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we uh, have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Enlighten our hearts and minds this morning. Help us not just to be hearers of the word but to be doers, just as Samuel was encouraging the people of God then to serve you wholeheartedly and faithfully. Let us walk from this place today with a, a, a fresh commitment, Father, to serve you with our, our whole heart, with all our strength. So speak to us now from your word. We are listening. We are listening. Tell him right now. Say, God, I'm listening. In your heart, you tell him, God, I'm listening to you. Speak to me. And Father, that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, let me kind of set this up for you a little bit so you'll understand what we're talking about here. This passage is a passage that is uh, commonly referred to as Samuel's farewell sermon. He's brought all the people of Israel. He's been a man of God, in fact, a prophet of God, just like Haggai. But this is his farewell speech, if you can get that in your mind. This is his farewell sermon. It is the last sermon. It's the last message he's going to share with them. And he calls them together. And by the way, he rebukes them because they had just really rebelled against God. They had sinned. They wanted to be like everybody else and everybody else had a, a physical king. And so they said, we want to have a physical king too. And uh, the prophet told them, you don't want a physical king. You're not going to like a physical king. You're not going to enjoy a physical one because he's going to tax you. He's going to make laws that you don't like. He's going uh, to impose his will upon you. And you don't really need a king because God Almighty is your king. But they said, we don't care. We want a king like everybody else. And so they sinned in that regard, but God gave them Listen, there's a whole sermon there. God gave them what they asked for, not what they needed. And God gave them a king, and that king would, in time, the kings, many of them would become wicked and impose wicked uh, uh, agendas upon the people of God and persecute their own people and those kinds of things. But he recaps in this message, he recaps, and we broke in at the end of his farewell. If you want to read the whole thing, you can go back. Keep your Bible open. I'm going to refer to some things there. But so 
uh, he, he refers to the work of God, kind of what God has done uh, over the course of his life and his ministry. And then he also talks about how, how he has faithfully served God and faithfully served the people of God and that no one could really bring any kind of uh, judgment against him. He even gives them an opportunity. If there's something I've done that you, you need to bring against me, bring it. And they couldn't because he had been a man of integrity. And, uh, and yet he, he rebukes them for this. But in the midst of the rebuke of saying, you rebelled against God, you had to have a king, God didn't want you to have a king, he goes on to say, but God will not forsake his people. And he says, in fact, he says, don't turn from following him and don't turn to follow empty things and then God will be with you. And he, God is pleased to put his name upon you. That's what he says to them. And so he, he essentially gives them a choice. And he says their responsibility is to live in fear of God. It is to obey God and it is to serve God. And you know that's always true, isn't it? That hasn't changed. Here we are uh, 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 2,500 plus years later, 3,000 years later. And guess what? Nothing has changed in that. God still expects us to do the same thing. He calls us to live in fear of him, to obey him, and to serve him. And if we do, we reap, we reap something. We reap his presence, that he won't forsake us, and we reap his power. His presence and power go together, and that will be ours. But we can also choose not to do these things. And, and Samuel makes clear, if we choose not to, to live in the fear of the Lord and to obey the Lord and to serve the Lord, that God would sweep them away. Now, all of us make a conscious and an unconscious decision about whether we're going to serve or not serve, or who we're going to serve or who we're not going to serve. I remember the late 70s and the early 80s, uh, Bob Dylan, uh, the famed folk writer, had become uh, uh, well-known in the Christian world because he had come out publicly having followed Christ as his Savior. Um, how real that was, we don't know, but at least for several years there was a lot of evidence that seemed to indicate that. And he had this album, and it's still one of my favorites. I have to tell you, it's called Slow Train. And... Um, he had a song on that that became very, very popular across all markets, and it was entitled Serve Somebody. And, and, and just one of the, the lines in there goes, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It's a pretty lengthy song, and he goes through a lot of verses where he's talking about all the things you have a choice to serve. But he said, in the end, you're going to have to serve somebody. And he always says this, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve someone. Well, his theology is right on there because the fact is there are only two options for you. If you don't serve God, by default, you are serving the devil. You say, oh, I would never serve the devil, but listen to me. By default, if you're not serving God, you're serving the prince and power of this world. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to show you three things that relate to our who we serve and how we serve and what we serve that are, are given to us in this farewell sermon by Samuel. Number one, Samuel's sermon spoke of the identification as servants. Look, pray for your servants. Pray for your servants. They identified themselves. Isn't it interesting they identify themselves as servants? And, sir, and by the way, that means servants of the Lord. They identified themselves as servants of the Lord. 
And it's interesting for them to claim that identity because they had been doing anything but serving the Lord. They had been, they had been in rebellion against God, against the work of God, and the will of God. And so it was a self-designated title that uh, had been true in the past, but it wasn't true when, when Samuel had been talking to them. So they're, I didn't, we're, we're, pray for your servants, they said, servants of the Lord. You're a servant of the Lord. We serve, uh, we serve the Lord. Pray for us that God won't kill us. So they're identifying, self-identifying, this is who we are, and yet it wasn't it wasn't reflected in how they behaved and what they practiced. And there are a couple of lessons there for us too. There's a lesson like, write this down, that being a servant of God is more than simply belonging. Being a servant of God is more than simply belonging. You see, they belonged to a group. That group was known as the people of God. It is, he says right here, God was pleased to put his name on people. By the way, that reflects us too. Did you know that? If you're in Christ, you are the people of God. You are grafted in, Paul says, to the people of God. And so uh, the, one of the things we ought to learn from this confession that they make, this identification as servants, is that, that being a servant of God is more than simply belonging. We are servants. You know, we belong to the people uh, of God. And there are many people today who belong to the church, but they're really not connected to the work of God through the church of God. They belong, but they're not connected. And since you're designed to serve God, it's not enough just to belong. Does that make sense? You're designed to serve. God wants you to serve because you belong. Now, in the world we live in, it's such an entertainment-driven age that sometimes, even without knowing, we view the church as just another venue in our life that exists to kind of entertain us, uh, to make us feel good, to bring uh, pleasure to us. We view it that way as opposed to the church being the kind of place where we engage in knowing God and as being God's faithful servants. The kingdom of God, you see, is more than just belonging. Y'all got that? Do like this so I can move on. Y'all got that? Yeah. Y'all can amen every once in a while too. It's okay. All right. So the kingdom of God is is about more than just belonging, all right? And being a servant of God is more than just belonging. Number two, being a servant of God is more than simply confessing. I'm still under the first point. Being a servant of God is more than simply confessing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a follower of God. I'm a, a follower of God. Now, listen to what James said in chapter 2 of his letter. He said, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you, listen to this, I will show you my faith by my works. And then he adds this, you believe that God is one, you do well. They had the right confession. But then he adds this, well, even the demons believe and shudder. So you see, it's, it's not just about your confession. See, James said, you can say I'm a person of faith. You can say I'm a person that follows Christ. He said, the confession, though, is demonstrated. Your faith is demonstrated by your actions, by your service, by what you do. He said, the confession is not enough because even the demons believe, but they don't evidence that they are servants of God. And that was the problem of the, the people here in our passage, but it's also our problem, isn't it? 
that, that there's sometimes our confession and our service are, don't line up. Um, they confessed to be servants of God, but, but they were not serving the will or the purpose of God. And their lives were self-focused. They weren't God-focused. Look over, look over at verse 12. We didn't read this, but this is part of the narrative. Look at verse 12. It says, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. You say, no, what's the point of that? To to remind you that their lives were self-focused. They weren't God-focused. That statement right there tells us, they said, when you saw Naash come against you and they were led by a king, you said, we want a king like that. We want to be led by a king like that. Why? Their eyes were on themselves. They were self-focused. They weren't God-focused. And so while they confessed the right things, the evidence of their life said they were anything but servants of God. So servants of the Lord are not validated by their verbal identification, but by their fruit you will know them. Make sense? All right? So it's not enough to say, oh, yeah, I'm a servant of God. They said that, but they weren't serving God. The second thing I want you to see this morning from Samuel's sermon is he spoke of the dedication of servants. Verses 20 and 21, and I'll refer back to those in just a moment. Now, being a true servant of God requires dedication to God, and it requires dedication to the things of God. I don't know if you know the name Usain Bolt. He he won the gold medal in the London Olympics in the 100 meter. He ran 100 meters, set a world record. It may still stand. It probably does. He ran the 100 meters in less than 10 seconds. And it caused him to be identified as the world's fastest human. And sometimes we tend to think, well, wow, he he achieved that in the race. But the fact is, he became the fastest human being, not because of the race itself, but the race itself was won through long hours of practice and workouts and weightlifting and a, a special dieting and, and coaching. You see, the race was not won in the performance. It was run, it was won by the dedication to preparation. There was dedication, there was commitment there. Our, our desire for the greater work of God should cause us to be willing to sacrifice some things. Usain Bolt knew he had to, there were trade-offs he had to make if he was, in fact, going to win those races and become that fast. He understood there was trade-offs, there was practice and there were workouts and all of those kinds of things. But there were trade-offs. And we have to do the same thing as servants of God. We have to look and say, God, there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs, and those trade-offs mean that there may be some things I have to give up, maybe even some good things that I have to give up for the sake of the things that are even better. So how is my dedication to the things of God demonstrated? If I'm going to be a faithful servant, how how do I demonstrate that? Two things that we we get from the passage. First, there must be a passionate commitment. There must be a passionate commitment. We see it again reflected in verse 20 and 24. That phrase, underline this in your Bible, where he talks about serve the Lord with all your heart. Now, 
Uh, notice he says, do not turn aside from following the Lord. That's in verse 20. Do not turn aside. This is the first of two do not turn statements that Samuel makes to them. And this one tells us not to turn away from following God and serving the Lord with all of our heart. He, he said, in other words, it, the, a different way to phrase it would be, make sure you continue to serve God with all of your heart for all of your life. Now the fact is, we have plenty of half-hearted servants of God. We have plenty of half-hearted servants of God. But God looks inside of us and He knows whether our service to Him is wholehearted or half-hearted. And he looks inside of us. The Bible says he, he sees on the inside. He says man looks on the outside to see uh, uh, who a person is. But God, the Bible says, looks on the inside. He looks at the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. So let me ask you this morning, if you evaluated yourself, don't speak it out loud, but if you were to evaluate yourself, would you say I'm a half-hearted servant of God or a whole-hearted servant of God? Or would you say I'm not even a servant of God, period? Paul, listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves or servants of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And listen, and having been set free from sin, have now become servants of righteousness or slaves of righteousness. And the word slave there means a bondservant, and it denotes a person who has, has willingly made themselves a servant. They didn't have to be, but they have willingly bound themselves to their master. It is a, a, they have become a servant by choice. They have a passionate commitment to serve the master. They love the master, and they have, uh, they have made sure that they stayed connected to him. And again, you see the statement in verse 21, do not turn aside from, or, or 20, uh, from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your ha heart. It reflects something. It reflects a choice, doesn't it? I, I want you to understand something this morning. I want you to understand that serving God with passion begins with a choice. It begins with a choice, not a feeling. You say, but you're talking about serving God with passion. Yes, I know that. But we sometimes think, well, I'll serve God when I feel like it, when I feel more, more like it. Some of you probably got up this morning and said, I don't feel like going to church. But you did. And now you're glad you came to church. And you're going to go home. You're going to be glad you, you came and you worship God. You see, you didn't act on your feeling you acted on what you understood was responsible Christian discipline. Amen. Amen. And so sometimes what we say is, well, I know I should serve God, but I just don't have the passion for it. I'll, when I get the passion, I'm going to start practicing God's work with passion. Well, listen, stop, listen, stop trying to feel yourself into an action. Now, I love feelings, and I'm all for feelings. But, man, too often feelings warp the right thing. Amen. Stop, listen, stop trying to feel yourself toward an action. I'm going to feel myself toward service for God. Because if you do that, you probably won't make a choice to be a servant. But instead, what should you do? Okay? Since you ask, 
Stop trying to feel yourself to an action and instead start acting yourself toward a feeling. Because I want to tell you something. In time, if you will act yourself toward a feeling, guess what? You'll begin to find out, hey, wow, I really do enjoy doing this for the Lord. I do enjoy serving God. I've acted myself toward a feeling instead of waiting for the feeling uh, to, to come, to Uh, to overtake me but dedication and servant also involves a priority adjustment that's the second thing to note It, it, it involves a priority adjustment it's not just about a passionate commitment it's about adjusting your priorities and we see that here reflected in the second do not turn statement and and when he says uh do not turn to empty things It's about not getting distracted. It's about not serving the wrong things. You know, a lot of us will end up serving things that we had no intention of serving and not out of malice, not even out of rebellion. But if we don't turn ourselves to the right things, guess what? You will turn yourself to the wrong stuff. I've told you, I've told you for two decades now that nobody has to coach me in how to blow it. Nobody has to teach me how to do the wrong thing. It's instinctive, man. It just, it'll, if, if the Spirit of God doesn't lead me, guess what? The spirit of this world, the powers of the enemy will instead direct me. Now, I want you to understand how important it is then to adjust your priorities. And uh, that's what he's talking about here. I love George Mueller. I've told you this for a long time. Read a biography on George Mueller. If you have never read a biography on George Mueller, that is your assignment. He's one of the great men of faith. Read read a a bio on George Mueller. And George Mueller, uh, God used him incredibly uh, all over the globe. And he was once asked what his secret of of service and success for God was. And this is his answer. He responded, and I quote, there was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller, to George Mueller's opinions, to George Mueller's preferences, to George Mueller's taste, and to George Mueller's will. I died to the world, its approval or its censure. I died to the approval or the blame even of my own brothers and sisters and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. Did you get what he was saying? They said, what's the secret of your success? And he said, priority adjustment. I died to myself. Well, listen, that's an interesting statement because it lines up with what Jesus said. It lines up with what John the Baptist said. It lines up with what Paul said. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. And Paul in Galatians said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our priorities. You see, that, that, that's what they were talking about, priorities. Jesus, you want to follow me? There's some, going to be a priority adjustment. John the Baptist said, I have to decrease. He has to increase. Priority adjustment. Paul said, I've been crucified. I've crucified myself with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Priority adjustment, priority adjustment. And our priorities are generally shaped by what we value. That's not all bad. 
I mean, we value family, we value friends, we value material things, we value God, and we, but your priorities will reveal what the primary, what the primary things that, and values of your life are. Dedicated servants, listen, have learned to evaluate and adjust the priorities of their life in order to elevate the priorities of God. Did you get that? Dedicated servants of God have learned to trade off the priorities of life and understanding what should be. And by the way, there's intersection between those two, okay? There's intersection between the priorities of life and the priorities of the kingdom. So don't get me me wrong. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these priorities of the world, all of these things will be yours. See, so Jesus understands there's intersection of the priorities of life. The key is what determines the priorities. And I probably ought to say it this way, who determines the priorities? Does that make sense? And so to be a dedicated servant, we have to understand that. We have to understand the priority thing. We have to be willing to make uh, adjustments to the, to the, uh, in our priorities to intersect with the priorities of God. I read about a group of friends that went deer hunting, and they paired off for the day. And that night, as they were all gathering back to the, the lodge, one of the guys, Harry, uh, not Harry, but one of the hunters returned alone, and he had this eight point deer he was struggling to get back by himself to the lodge and when he got back uh, his friend said hey where's Harry and he said oh Harry he said he had a stroke he's laying on the trail back there about two miles and they said you didn't bring Harry with you you didn't you you brought the deer and left Harry laying there and the guy said well he said I figured nobody would steal Harry He got his, y'all get that? Or is that a courtesy laugh? Um, he had his priorities a little out of whack, right? And it's a humorous story, but the fact is our priorities reflect what's really valuable to us. So I ask you, where's God in the list of the things that you value? And do your priorities need to be reevaluated? But there's one last thing I want you to see from Samuel's sermon. He spoke a third, the continuation of servants. Verse 24, he says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. Did you get that? Only fear the Lord, serve him faithfully. And he says again, do it with all your heart. He concludes his message by admonishing the people of God to be faithful servants. Think about that. This is how he ends his message. He doesn't just throw this in, and we see the word serve or servant uh, uh, several times in these verses. He doesn't just kind of say, oh, yeah, and by the way, while I'm at it, uh, serve God faithfully with your heart. Now, this is a theme of what he's saying to them. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to pray for you, and uh, who knows what kind of ongoing instruction he might give. But he says, as for you, he said, I want to just admonish you to do something from this point forward, because not doing, it has, not doing it has gotten you in trouble, so let me just remind you to fear God and serve Him with all your heart. Think about it. That's what he wraps up, pretty much wraps up his sermon with. And he's encouraging them to be lifetime 
servants of God. Not seasonal servants, not when it's easy to serve, but to live always as God's servant. And the fact is, our service to God is from now until eternity. From now until eternity, we are to be faithful servants. That's why, why we want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful steward or servant. See, Because we're responsible between now and eternity to live as his servant. That's why this whole matter is so important of us serving God while we can serve God. And if you study the New Testament, you see the church was brought into existence in order to reach people by the believers who served God through the auspices of the local church. That's why we talk about it. That's why we do these things, connect and serve, and urge you to find a place. Now, some of you may say, you know, uh, I did my time. God doesn't see it that way. You don't like punch in and punch out. You are a servant, and this is what Sam is saying, from the time you come into this world until the time you go out of this world. And so it's not like seasonal, as I said. It's not temporary, but you see yourself as a servant of God. I am a servant of God. And I, that I will be, that's one of the things that I will be accountable for. Did I serve God in that window called my earthly life? And you say, what does that mean? Well, because some of you may be here and say, well, I can't do some of the things I used to do. I, I can't do some of the things. Uh, this is a younger audience, but there are some of us in this place that understand what that means, that I can't do some of the things that I used to do. My brain, I still try to do some things, and my brain tells me I can do it. My body says no. And the way I know that is after I have done these things or attempted to do these things, my body screams at me, and it screams, Tylenol, <laughs> Tylenol. But I want to tell you something. But, but what you don't do is you don't say, well, I can't do what I used to do. That may be true of you. It may be true of all of us. I can't do some of the things I used to do. That's not the question. The question is, are you doing what you can do for God right now? We sing... Bradley knows I love this song, My Testimony. We sing that song in here. Y'all know that song, My Testimony. The most powerful line in the whole thing, it is, man, God has used it in my life over the last year. If, if you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. And so the question is not, well, what I used to do. The question is, are you doing? Are you serving at all? Because we're called to, to continue uh, until Christ either calls us home or he returns, he's called us to continue to serve faithfully. And there are two, at least two, good reasons that Samuel gives us here. And this is what I close with. First of all, he, he there's a fearful motivation. There's a fearful motivation. Um, now, I refer you back to last week's message. If you weren't here or you didn't hear last week's message, I, I would encourage you to go, uh, go, go and listen to that. Go online or listen on the podcast or whatever it may be. Go listen to that message because I talked significantly and substantively about something I think we've forgotten, and that is the fear of God. I don't think there's much fear of God anymore. And isn't it interesting, last week when we read the Sermon of, 
uh, the prophet Haggai, he talked to the people about fearing God and then serving in the house of God. Samuel does the same thing, doesn't he? Look at verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him. This is a, a motivation, isn't it? Now, you say, well, I want to serve God out of love. Okay, I, yes. But if you can't get there, you ought to at least say, but I'm also afraid because this is pointing to something. Why do we serve the Lord out of fear? Not so we live like this, but out of an understanding. One day we're going to stand before him. And so we don't have to live like trembling unless we need to tremble. But we say, you know what? I want to be so faithful that I, I'm, I, I know who God is. And one day when I stand before him, I want to be, I want to hear that. I want to hear that statement. Well done, Ray. Good and faithful. Sir. And so sometimes what I need is a little healthy fear of God that we've lost today. And part of that is because we see God as existing for us instead of us existing for God. Did you know the Bible says you were created, listen to this, you were created for his pleasure in Revelation. You were created for his pleasure. He wasn't created for ours. He doesn't exist for our pleasure, though he may bring it. And by the way, what I found is when I serve him, I find the pleasure of God because he's designed me for that. But there's this fearful motivation. The day's going to come when we're going to give an account of our service. And by the way, nobody likes to say that really today, even in our pulpits. Nobody likes to say, you probably need to be a little more frightened of God than you are. Nobody wants to say that, right? Because it doesn't reach out to a, uh, a millennial audience or the next uh, generational audience. They don't like that stuff, we're told. I don't think that's true of ours. But the fact is, it's the uncomfortable part. Uh, you know, when you say, you, look, you need a healthy uh, fear of God um, because you're going to stand before him one day. John Kenneth Galbraith was a politician, a diplomat, and an economist and very well known in his era for a number of decades. And Galbraith uh, served under President Lyndon Johnson. And in his biography, a, a Life in Our Time, he talks, about, he talks about his housekeeper. Her name was Emily and how, how good she was at her job and what she did. And on one particular day, he talks about in his uh, autobiography, he says, I came home, I was, so, I was just so weary uh, from the day. And I asked uh, Emily, the housekeeper, if she would hold all of my telephone calls uh, and allow me to take a nap. So I didn't want to take any calls, he said. But shortly after uh, he had laid down, fallen asleep, the phone rang. And it was the president, Lyndon Johnson, who was calling from the White House. And when she answered, immediately the president said, get me Ken Galbraith. This is the president. And Emily, the housekeeper, responds back. I love this. She said, Mr. President, he's sleeping. And he told me not to disturb him. The president says, well, wake him up. I'm the president. Wake him up, and I need to talk to him. To which Emily replied back and said, no, sir, Mr. President. I don't work for you. I work for him. <laughs> Isn't that great? 
Well, he says, Ken Galbraith, when, he says, when I called the president back after I had awakened, the president could scarcely control his pleasure. He said, Ken, I don't know who that woman is, but you tell her that I want her to work here in the White House. You know, sometimes who we serve is, is motivated by a certain kind of fear and sober thinking, isn't it? We serve God because we think, I don't work for the world, I work for God. I, 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 don't, I don't take the, the road of the world, I follow the, the counsel of God. But there's a second reason he gives us to continue faithfully as his servants, and that is what I call grateful consideration. Did you notice at the end of verse 24? Look there for a second. For consider what great things he, that's God, has done for you. Consider what great things he has done for you. This means it's good to recall the great things he has done for you. It's why I kind of started this message off with, you know, God has been good to me because. What does it do? It causes us to think, well, how has God been good to me? Here's a way God's been good to me. Here's a way that God has been good to me. And that's exactly what Samuel says to the people. He says, recall all the good things that he has done for you. And when you do that, how can you not serve him? When you recall that he died for you, that he gave his life for you, that, that in doing so, he has given meaning and purpose to your existence. You know one of the greatest questions that is always asked, still asked today by people that don't know Christ is, why am I here? How did I get here? What, what is my life about? Well, Listen, he gives meaning to our existence. He's given you heaven. He's preserved you. He's protected you. He's provided for you. He's loved you unconditionally. He's brought you through when you didn't know how you were going to make it, hasn't he? How can you not gratefully serve him and worship him when you consider all that he's done for you? In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. You only say, present yourself sacrificially as a servant to God. God, here I am. Use me how you wish to use me. The great violinist, Niccolo Paganini took his most famous violin and he gave it to the city of Genoa. But he had a condition when he gave this great violin that he had played so incredibly. He had this condition. The condition was this, that I'll give this to the city to put in a showcase, but it is to never be played again by anyone save only me if I should want to. It's only for display. Nobody else is to ever touch it. Nobody else is to ever play it. Now, the wood that the instrument was made out of 
while it's used and it's handled, has very little decay on it. I mean, there's light. It, it just doesn't affect it too much by playing on it. But here's the deal. If it's not handled and it's not played, you know what happens to that wood over time? It decays. And today, Paganini's incredible violin, you know what it is? It's a worm-eaten, decayed, useless relic. That's what it is. It's, at one point in time, it had been played by the master, and it was so incredible. But over time, because it wasn't played, it became completely useless. You all understand where I'm going with that? Why is serving God so important? It is because you were created for the purpose of serving God. That violin was created to be played, not to be viewed. You have been created by the master craftsman, and you are called to God to serve. And a Christian, if they are unwilling to serve, will in time decay and destroy their own capacity for usefulness. You see, God created you to be a servant. And, and when he created you to be a servant, he sent his son to die for you. And when you responded to his son as your savior, he gave you a gift. And that gift was called the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the indwelling Holy Spirit came to preside, not just reside in your life, something to be viewed, but to preside in your life in order to enable you to be useful for God. Do you know what? You're like the violin created for the master's use, and the Spirit of God is the music that God uses inside of you to serve the purposes of the kingdom. And if you're not serving you become useless in the work of God. You say, now, Pastor, are you talking about like serving like you do or Brother Chuck or Bradley or some of these staff members? Only if God calls you to do that. That's a unique kind of calling. But you are to, be a, uh, you are to serve him in the church, find places and ways in the church, the body of Christ. And then when you walk out of this place, you're to see yourself as his servant. Whatever you do, wherever you are, whatever vocation you have, you're a servant there. You're a servant here. But God has designed you to serve. And to do anything less will eventually render you useless for the master. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one looking about in this place. Before we're gone, maybe in this place today, you say, I, I've never given my life to Christ. Look, you, you can't be used by him if you don't have a relationship with him. And you can change all that. Those of you who are joining us by live stream in this live audience, you can call out to him. You can put your trust in Christ today. You can say something like this in your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. And thank you uh, that you love me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. And I want to be a part of your family. And I want to be your servant. And so I invite you to come into my life. I receive you as my Savior and Master and Lord you created me for service, and I want to serve you. You may be in this place this morning and say, you know what, I, I know him, but I haven't been serving him. Why don't you just tell him, Lord, forgive me for not serving. And God, I'll not wait on my feelings to catch up with my faith. I'll not wait on my feelings to move me to an action. I'll begin acting. I'll begin serving. I'll find a way. I'll find a place. 
in the work of the church to serve you, God. Thank you for creating me and giving me. That's part of my purpose. I realize that. You may be here this morning and say, you know what I need? I just need a church family. Already today, people have joined us and become a part of our family. Maybe today is the day that you need to do the very same. With heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment, I'm going to step down here to the front. Yes, the altar is open. I invite you to come and pray around this altar. Use it. Take advantage of it. It's been so long since we've been able to come and kneel. It is open. I'll be here at the front. Staff members will be uh, near the aisles. And if you won't come to any of us and just say, here's a decision. I've prayed to trust Christ today. Or come and say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest, or I need to be baptized, and we'll schedule all of that. But I want to invite you, balcony, ground floor, to slip out from where you're seated. Either come to pray or come and say, Pastor, here's a decision. Staff member, here's a decision today that I am making. Father, would you use this time for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, would you stand with, with us as the, as the band plays? I invite you to make your way to the front, to the altar, to make your decision, whatever it is. You come on right now. Slip out. Come on.